Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read out of Genesis chapter 3 uh, this evening, verses 1 uh, through verse 13, as we trust God uh, to help us. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through verse 13. <clears throat> I, I've heard this before, and I, I've, I've made comments alongside uh, these, this thought. <clears throat> you might have heard me, you might have heard another preacher. But it's oftentimes been said that if people, that if Jesus Christ was to physically you know, uh, walk on the earth today. We know Jesus is here, right? We, we always say he lives inside of our hearts. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, I will dwell among them and, and in them and be with them and they will be my people and I will be their God. And so we get that. But, but people have often said, if Jesus was physically here on the earth today, would he be able to see the difference between the world and the church? And that's an important question, an important thought. And the reason why people have made that comment, can G, would Jesus be able to distinguish and see the difference between who is the church and who is not the church? And the reason why they say that is because too much of the world oftentimes creeps into the church. And too much of the world creeps into the church oftentimes without us even being aware of it. We're oblivious to it. We, we, we miss it. In the story that we're going to read in Genesis, <clears throat> the Bible says that the serpent or that the devil, he, he, uh, the devil slithered his way in to the garden in the form of a serpent, uh, that he took the form of another animal or another beast. Uh, and Adam and Eve were very aware of what was in the garden. They saw the creation of God. They saw the beasts of the field. They saw the birds of the air. They, they saw, amen, all of God's creation. And so they were completely oblivious uh, to the devil taking form uh, of a serpent when he slithered his way into the garden uh, with an agenda. This is my thought this morning. <clears throat> and oftentimes a thought that probably would be an offense in churches and amongst Christians and pray that God um, uh, helps us, amen, and, uh, and we, we still live with God's joy. <clears throat> I got saved 26 years ago. 26 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And Pastor Andrew Zamora asked, he goes, Martin, would you share your testimony? Would you preach your testimony? And <clears throat> so I, I took my testimony and I put it in a sermon format. And I found scripture, you know, to kind of underline and support everything that I know that God did for me as a sinner, now converted to Christ, a Christian. And, um, and so I'm going to share that with us one of these days. I, I, I thought it went really, really well. <coughs> when I got saved, many of us got saved. It was a revival in our church. But when we got saved, we stopped drinking. We stopped cussing. We stopped smoking. <clears throat> How we dressed, if it was inappropriate, we changed that also. Now this is why I say it can be an offense. Because the devil slithers his way. He brings the world with him into the church. So there were things that we changed. Or things that God changed in our lives because as Christians, it wasn't just we go to church now. You with me this morning? Yes, church is a great place for a Christian to be. But being a Christian meant now that I was different. 
I didn't just say a prayer and get up, and I was the same person I was when I walked in, and I don't believe that's what happened to you either. Amen. When I knelt at an altar and I confessed my sin to Christ and received forgiveness of sins and invited the Lord into my heart as my Savior, amen, when I stood up, I stood up from that altar a different person. And I believe that happened to each and every one of us. It's called a conversion. Amen. Jesus said that we must be born again. That something totally transformed and changed right then and there in our lives. We were different now. Not the same. Jesus said in the book of Revelations, Behold, I make all, all things new. <coughs> and Christ living in us now. Now that Jesus, and this is what's going to differentiate who we are and who we claim to be. But Christ living in us now, we wanted to be different. I didn't want to be the same person I was when I first came to that altar. Something inside of me wanted something different. I wanted to be different than the world. Nobody told me that I needed to stay away from my old friends. Nobody told me that in church. Amen. There were not little dictators or little Holy Ghost juniors in the church telling me, you're a Christian now. What are you doing? But there was something inside of me that had this, this, this idea that if I'm going to make it, I need to disconnect from the people that I used to surround myself with. Because as long as I'm with them, I'm going to do the things that I've always done. And so nobody told me, Amen, uh, that I had to do this or I had to do that. Uh, inside of this new creation, something that I wanted to be different than the world. See, people get very upset towards church. <coughs> people have a hard time with church. And then they try to categorize all churches under the same thing. All churches are the same. They're all judgmental. They all want to tell you how to live. They all want to keep you to a standard. And so I don't like organized religion. Listen, if you have a problem with church, you have a problem. Because the church can't make anybody do anything, nor can a standard. And those who choose to live differently than how they lived when they first came to Christ, they choose to because of something called personal righteousness. Amen. I cannot allow two members to live inside of the same heart. Amen. I don't want to invite Christ to live inside of my heart while my heart is still filled, amen, with Satan. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Something inside the heart of a new creation has to begin to desire personal righteousness and holiness. I don't know if I'm on. I think my ears are plugged from conference, but testing, testing. I feel better on right there. Does that sound better? Yeah, this microphone don't sound too hot. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, somebody say, new creation. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. We like to pick and choose what old things will let pass, don't we? He says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. <clears throat> As new Christians, we learn how to represent Christ. 
Something inside of me wanted to represent him well. When I went to my old friends and I told them that I was a Christian now, I had to live up to what a Christian was supposed to be. Now, I might have not been fully aware of what a Christian was supposed to be, but I definitely knew by the world I live in what a Christian wasn't. We never lived Christ-like. We were very familiar with church and religion, but we didn't live Christ-like. So I might have not been fully aware of what a Christian was supposed to be, but I definitely knew what a Christian wasn't. And me and my friends were not Christians before that altar call. And so I went back to my friends uh, as a Christian. I told them I accepted Christ into my heart. Uh, I was going to church now. I was a Christian. And now everything inside of me wanted to represent Christ well. So here's my question this morning, church. Why is it that today's Christianity is okay with things that we did in our sin? Why is it okay in today's Christianity? Why is it okay for Christianity today to be okay with drinking and with cussing and with smoking and with tattoos and piercings and funky hairstyles and inappropriate clothing and on and on and on? How did the world creep into the church? If the church is supposed to be different than the world, when did the world creep into the church? This is one of those amen sermons or oh my sermons. But how do we represent Christ if we're who we used to be? We just go to church now. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. I want to talk about modesty this morning. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, listen, she is very well aware of what is right and what is wrong. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She knew, and I believe with all of my heart that many of us know the difference between good and evil. We know the difference between uh, decency and modesty and uh, profanity and indecency. We know the differences of these things. And she told him, God said... You shall not eat of it, nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, and this is how, amen, the world creeps into the church. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent told her, that's not exactly what God meant. You know those folks, I know the Bible says, but I think, I know churches, they ex but I feel. <clears throat> so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? So he said, Here, I heard, the, I heard your voice in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Deception. <clears throat> what happened to modesty? It starts with deception. That word deceive means to cause someone to believe something that is not true. Typically in order to gain some personal advantage. Eve knew what God said. Eve knew that it wasn't right. Eve knew that God's voice was more powerful and stronger than any other voice that she would ever have in her life. His was a voice that needed to be obeyed. As long as she would obey the voice of God, there would be blessing. And that's true for us as well. And the Bible tells us that Eve knew what was right. Amen. And when God's looking for them and they're hiding, because sometimes, amen, sin makes us hide. Amen. Sometimes if there's even at least just a little bit of a sense and conviction inside of our hearts, you know, we kind of hide. Amen. This is why sometimes people hide and dodge church. Amen. You always know when somebody is struggling with something and they know they are because they're dodging every voice of reason and accountability that would speak some sense into their lives. <clears throat> and it says they were hiding. And God said, Adam... What happened? And Adam said, the woman that you gave me. And Eve said, the serpent, he deceived me. To cause someone to believe something that is not true. God said, I should, we should not eat of it. The day that we eat of it, we will invite sin and death into our lives. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Eve knew that. But the devil deceived her. You're not going. Wow. He thought, come over here. Listen. If it's so bad, why did God put it in the garden? Oh, I never saw it that way. If it's so bad, then why is everybody doing it? If it's so bad, then why is it legal? If it's so bad... And that's the way the world finds its way into the church. Because you got these people who, like Eve, all of a sudden, they listen to the voice of deception, and somehow their eyes are open now. Now they know what God was trying to hide from us. All of these things that God said, shame on you, no, it's bad, it's going to ruin you. <laughs> What was God? He was just being a mean God. Now their eyes are opened and they partake of it. And we come to a place where we don't see anything wrong with it. God was very straightforward with Adam and Eve in what was appropriate and what wasn't. The devil, who Jesus calls the deceiver or the accuser of the brethren, amen, Satan, who is a liar and a father of all lies, spoke very convincing into their lives. And the Bible says they ate of it and their eyes were opened. <clears throat> the devil is no different with us. 
as he was with the first man and the first woman church. His ministry has always been to get you and I to re-examine, to rethink, and perhaps redefine what God says. Now, we can pick and choose where we want to take our stances on what redefining is. Amen. But anytime it goes against God's word, amen, you're, you're having to take that up with God. What makes us think that we, it's okay to change our gender because we feel that we were created wrong? Isn't that nuts? I mean, that's the world we're living in. You hear all these celebrities now. My four-year-old son likes to wear dresses. You know, it was before calling he a she or she a he, and now you're calling them a they because they don't want to be categorized and boxed in and identified as only one name. And somebody has said that there's a whole alphabet now for every single gender type person. When do we think? <clears throat> when, did we, when did we think that it was okay to redefine what God created? I mean, it's not something that just one day somebody got smart. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a fade. It's a, it's a gradual process, right? Then all of a sudden we're at this weird place. You know, just uh, yesterday or day before yesterday they overturned in uh, the Roe versus Wade in America. But when did it become okay for us to kill a baby because it was a mistake? It wasn't just something that happened one day, but it, it was a process that flowed into that. You know, it's mind-boggling. Is I've sat with people in our church. I've pastored people who tried to educate me that God created them wrong. I'm a man, or, or, or I'm a woman, rather, in a man's body. Born again, they believe. Saved, they believe. On their way to heaven, they believe. And we're having this conversation in a Christian church. And they're completely convinced Deception, church. It's called deception. And we can stand on one side of the line and say, yep, I agree with you on that one, pastor. I've sat with Christians, or they thought they were, who felt it was okay because they weren't ready when they got pregnant or got somebody pregnant. That they were too young. It was a mistake. They were messing around with sin at the moment and they really did think that going to an abortion clinic and killing this baby that it would be okay they can repent if it's sin and they can go on with their life totally okay it's called deception church <clears throat> that's the world that we're living in today where a lot of the world takes what is blatant sin gross sin wrong Amen. But somehow, some way, they kind of uh, find a way to say it's not as bad as those religious people make it out to be. Eve, it's not that bad. It's not like God's going to kill you. It's not that bad. <clears throat> Listen, who do we think we are? Job chapter 38. <clears throat> God's having a conversation 
with Job. He says these words in Job 38.4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know, right? God's, God's kind of like sarcastic. Okay, here, wise guy. You want to redefine some things? You want to recreate some ideas? You want to, he says, he says, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors? When I said this far you may come but no further and here your proud waves must stop? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on a form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked uh, their light is withheld and uh, the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling? Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? And the chapter continues with God just basically questioning this man. You know, if you think that you can just, you know, I know that's what the Bible says, but this is what I think. I know that's what God says, but this is what I think. I know that's what the church thinks, but this is what God is saying. Tell me, where were you when I created everything? You're not God. You're not God. That's what God is saying. You're not me. You're not me. What causes us to assume that we can kind of recreate right what makes us think that we can redefine what is, what is right and what is good or redefine what is right and what is good? Deception. <clears throat> I don't believe that people are just real just devils out there. We're deceived. It's deception. God didn't mean that you would die. What he meant was your eyes would be opened. And that you would be like God's. That you would know more. That's what the scripture said. In the very beginning. And the problem with that is we began to think we do know more than God. And we've all had our beef with God before. We've all had beef with God's word. We've all had beef with church, with leadership. You know, we've questioned, we've attacked. And, and I'm not saying that some of them quarrels or perhaps uh, discussions weren't, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, right and, and done in a right fashion. But I'm talking about when we're trying to justify something that we just know, that we know is not right. If God didn't want us to get high, why did he put every plant and herb in the field? 
<clears throat> Anybody ever heard that one before? If it's so bad, then why did God create it and call it, this is good? We, 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 people will try to do that. You know, there's, there's something inside of them when they, when they get right with God, there's this awareness that happens of without anybody saying anything of what is right and what is wrong. There's this moral compass, this Holy Spirit helper, teacher, love of God that finds his way into our hearts to, to help us to divide wrong and right. And, 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 and it's there. But when we choose to ignore what's right, we'll try to fight what's right. And sometimes we'll go as deep as even using or coming against scripture questioning it the devil did that so it ain't something new right in the garden in the wilderness rather i believe it was matthew chapter 4 and jesus is in the wilderness the bible says that satan comes at him doesn't the word of god say three different times isn't it in his word trying to justify what he knows isn't right I said this is probably one of those sermons that's going to either get us to desire holiness and righteousness or it's going to, how do we get, how do we get pastor out of here and a new pastor in? <clears throat> I like when people lose it, throw fits, anger out of control and then they try to justify it as righteous anger. I get righteous anger. I get that. You know, but it's, it's crazy how out of control, angry personalities. You know, Paul says, I discipline my body. That God wants to help us. If I used to throw a fit and a tantrum and kick, wall, kick holes in walls and lose it, why should I want to bring that personality into this new opportunity to live a better life but we'll justify it jesus threw a fit won't we i saw him lose it right they even called him a man mad man jesus drank wine solomon had many wives and on and on and on church we defend things that somewhere somewhere at one time perhaps even we kind of questioned, but we weren't ready to put on the boxing gloves and deal with it. One day, every person will stand before a holy God. And it's a, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great thought. We're all going to stand. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die once. You know, we, we know that. We're all going to stand before a holy God. We talk about scriptures, you know, uh, well done, good and faithful servants. Not everybody's going to stand in front of the Lord as their Savior. Amen. We're going to stand before him also as our judge. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says. Verses 20 through 24. <clears throat> Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we're not talking about the world. Okay? <clears throat> you know, the Apostle Paul, he says, If God judges those who are outside, amen, that it's our job to bring some godly judgment inside. 
right? And we don't like to be judged, and there we there again, judge not, and you'll be not judged. And but Paul says that, you know, all we can do is preach a message of hope in the world, but in the house of God, Amen. We could deliver a message of godliness, holiness, righteousness. It ought to be our desire to live godly. Amen. The world might start mixing and saying this is, was evil, but it's good now. And this was good, but it's evil now. Right? Christians were good people. Today, Christians are evil people. That's, that's what the world says. Right? The book, the, 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 God's word was a good moral book. Amen? But now it's a book of condemnation and, and it's hate. This is hate speech. So the world's going to twist things up. Good will be evil and evil will be good, but woe to us should it be happening in the house of the living God. Isaiah wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, whose eyes were opened through deception. He says, and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the shaft, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. I want to talk about personal, personal conviction <clears throat> really quick <clears throat> because it comes down to this. Amen. Churches can have standards. Amen. Churches can expect, and they have the right to, expect a certain standard of living from its people, especially those who are going to be serving in, in, standard, in areas of ministry. You know, I would be afraid to go to a church who would let anybody do anything. That would be kind of scary. You know, because you had a babysitting business 20 years ago before they, you know, put you in prison because you were a pedophile. All of a sudden you come into the church and offer your children's expertise and want to care for the kids in our nursery. Thank God for churches who say, hey, well, you know what? I want to see you serve God for a while. Hallelujah. I want to see your testimony outside of the church, but also inside of the church. Amen. Thank God for churches that care about the standard of righteousness and holiness in people's lives. It would be scary, amen, to just go get our Sunday morning fix, amen, and kind of sneak out, amen, and no one cares about our eternal soul. One pastor said, what's the use of having big churches if so many of them are on the way to hell? <clears throat> Personal conviction is important. So I'm not putting anything on the church. Amen. I want to talk to us individually. When I became a Christian, I no longer wanted to do the things that I used to do as a sinner. I wanted to be right. I wanted to represent Jesus Christ with all of my heart. Romans chapter 7 verse 18, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Say nothing with me, church. Nothing. In me, nothing good dwells. Now, you can tell everybody you're a good person all day long, but the Bible says nothing good dwells in me. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do that I practice. 
Paul is saying, left to myself, I'm in trouble. It's hard. It's hard to be good and to do good. It's hard to be well and to do well because naturally that's not me. By nature, by birth, I'm a sinner. Paul is saying that every day, amen, there is these two personalities, these two people in him. One is spiritual and one is flesh. And his spirit wants to do good, but his flesh keeps him from it often. He goes and his flesh wants to do bad, but his spirit's trying to keep him and refrain him from doing bad. There's a war going on inside of him between two members. And this is everyone in our natural state. Sinners, carnal. And something about sinners is they don't really feel bad or apologize for their sin. And you and I know that. If we're saying things in our Christianity like, that's the way I am, they don't like it. And then we have that attitude too. We're defending who we were as a sinner. Now, while we go to church and call ourselves a Christian. Sinners don't feel bad. I never felt bad when I stole from my mom to go get drugs. I didn't feel bad when somebody looked at me sideways and you break his nose. I didn't feel bad when I cussed out my teacher because she challenged me or she scolded me. Sinners don't feel bad, you know, because why should we apologize for sin? It's what we do. And if we bring the world in us into this new walk with God and we don't feel bad or apologize for who we are, but rather defend it, then there's a strong chance that we just go to church. That's awful. That's scary. I come to church so I can get rebuked by God. You know, Pastor Glenn Cluck said the joy of being a new convert was coming to church and it felt like the sermon hit you over the head with a two by four. And you went home and he made the face. He says, but you couldn't wait to come back at night to get hit again. I come to church because I want God to convict me rebuke me, challenge me. And if there's no desire, why? I'm not trying to discourage anybody from coming. You know, church is a wonderful place. The presence of God is there, especially when anointing is here. Amen. When the messages of God are preached under the Holy Spirit anointing, and it finds its way into people's hearts and lives, and we're able to leave differently and better than how we came in. I had a friend some years ago, some of you might remember him. I kind of grew up with this boy since we were in middle school. We became very good friends throughout middle school, high school. And we both lived very, very, well, all of us lived very reckless and bad. And so we both went in different directions. I have not seen this guy since high school. You know, I, my life changed in a sense for the better. I bowed my heart to God. I got married, responsible, job, family, raised kids, served God, ministry, and then his, you know, uh, he's, he's lived a pretty rough life. And, and you can definitely see that when he was with us. He called me one time, hey, bro, guess who this is? I'm like, have I heard this voice for how many years ago was that, you know, forever? <clears throat> and I was like, I have no idea. And he tells me, and he's like, I'm going to be going through. I was wondering, I found my, your mom told me you were living there. 
So he came and we invited him for dinner and we grilled some meat and had a tremendous time. And the entire conversation was profanity. You ever talk to somebody like that? They're not like horrible people. It's just their language. You know, and so he's in the pastor's house with the pastor's family. You're talking about when a radio station goes on and there's some profanity on it, we change the radio station. Not because we're pastors, but because we're Christians. You know, we're the kind of Christians that if you're watching a Super Bowl football game and somebody decides to come out half naked, we turn away and we kind of blush. Not because we're pastors, because we're Christians. That's how Christians should feel. I know we can't change everything in front of us, but there should be something inside of us that says this is inappropriate. And so this guy's in my house the whole time. Bro, it's so blanking good to see you. Man, I haven't blanking see you forever. Blankety blank, bro. Oh, this is a good blanking steak. Blank, 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 blank. And that was his language. And we're kind of, everybody's nervous and weird. And he kept saying, my bad, bro, my bad, bro. It's just, I tried to, I don't mean to blank and talk. Oh, my bad, bro. I don't mean to blank and talk. Oh, my bad, bro. And it was just this, this effort to apologize. And it was funny. I, I don't know, you had to be there to see how funny it was. It was funny to see him so apologetic as a sinner in the pastor's house who used to be his homeboy on the streets. It was funny. You know what's funnier? Is a Christian with no filter. <clears throat> how can a sinner feel bad? <laughs> but a Christian doesn't. Does that make sense? How can a Christian, a sinner feel bad, but a Christian doesn't? Can we all agree that if we're Christians, it matters how we speak? James said, be careful with the words that you speak. <clears throat> he says, the tongue is like a, a wild fire. <clears throat> it matters how we act. It matters how we behave. It matters where we spend our time. How we spend our time. What we spend our time on. If we're Christians, it matters how we dress. That word modesty is defined as behavior, manner, or appearance. Behavior, manner, or appearance intended to avoid, intended to avoid indecency. Christians need to learn how to live modest again. Act modest, speak with modesty, live modest. You say, Pastor, that, that's old-fashioned. We're in 2022. What's wrong with being a good Christian in 2022? Is there anything wrong with that? I love those ladies that bend down to pick up something and they hold their blouse. Those are good Christians. I'm not trying to make everybody weird over here. But versus the ones that come in and you're like, dang, sister, you should go put on some clothes. Modesty. Behavior, manner, or appearance. It's saying, I'm not going to look like the world. I'm not going to act like the world. 
I'm not going to dress like the world. I'm not going to talk like the world. I'm not going to do what the world does. I'm not going to do it in the world because the Bible says we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. I'm not going to do it in the world, and I'm definitely not going to do it in the house of God. I'm not just a Christian when I go to church on Sunday, but I'm a Christian 24-7. How I act, speak, talk, behave, all of those things, look, dress, matters. I'm not saying, you know, wear dresses down to your uncles and ankles. Did I say uncles? <laughs> I'm not saying wear dresses down your ankles and cover your face. No. But start to care. Because you represent Jesus. <clears throat> We're not who we used to be. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Matthew 7, 17, even so every tree that bears good, uh, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. It matters how we speak. It matters how we behave. It matters what we do. It matters where we are, who we spend time with, what we spend our time on. All of those things matter. It's not saying the church doesn't want you to have a life. It has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with, I am a Christian. Nobody made me become a Christian. I chose to surrender my life of sin to a loving Savior who died and he rose from the grave. Who came to give me life abundantly. I'm not going to live the way that I want to live. I'm not going to live the way the world tells me I should live. I'm going to live in a way that reflects Christ. Amen. In this world. One deception is we got to be like the world to win the world. That's a fat lie, church. <clears throat> Years back, there was a brother who came into um, our church and getting involved in ministry here, and I remember him telling me that as a young convert, he got involved in Christian ministry in the, in the, in the prisons and jails, and that they had told him as he was going to go in and start ministering uh, that somebody had counseled him, one of its members, that uh, to be able to better relate with, these people, these, these inmates, and kind of get them to trust you. Maybe perhaps, you know, get like a cross tattoo or a crucifix tattoo or a scripture tattooed on your body, a, a religious earring or something like that. Amen. The world doesn't need us to look like them so that they can be convinced that God loves them. <clears throat> Amen. The world needs us to be different, to stand out. Darkness doesn't win over darkness. Light wins darkness. Amen. Light wins darkness. Jesus said we are the light of the world. Another deception is just hoping that all the good we do will outweigh the bad we do. That's another deception. We're talking about Satan finding his way into the garden. That's how the world finds its way into the church. Well, I know that, but at least I do this. I know that I'm stuck right here and there's a few things that I do, but at least, and we, we're just hoping that all the good we do will outweigh in judgment the little bit of bad that we do. Personal righteousness is a choice. Jesus died for me. I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to live for him the way that I think is right. 
Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Personal righteousness, personal convictions are the result of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Personal righteousness and personal convictions. This sermon right here is not to make you feel bad. <laughs> I don't want you to feel bad. Pastor Martin, no. I just want you and I to be aware of how does the world get into the church? While the devil's disguised as this little snake. And when Eve says, that's wrong, that's inappropriate, that's indecent, I cannot do that, the devil says, that's not really what God meant. What he meant was, oh, and now her eyes are open and she knows everything now. And now she can redefine what is right and what is appropriate and what is decent. And then people like me that stand behind the pulpit were like, it's like that mom and dad that you grew up with that hated you to have fun. They just don't want you to go and have fun, and that's how pastor is, and he's mean. Ignore that pastor said anything, because I cannot make anybody feel bad. Just like I can't heal anybody. I can't save anybody. But I want us to be aware of, amen, a personal righteousness and a personal conviction. It comes because of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.